Thank you, y'all. Thank you so much. Whoo. Well, I've got somewhere that I am, that I know that the Lord wants us to get to this morning. I was, I'm feeling it. So we're just going to take off. Is that good with y'all? Yep. Thank you so much, James. So uh, my name is Lynette. If I've never met you before. Hey. Hey. <laughs> And can we give a big welcome to our sister church in Merced, California, Kingdom Ranch Cowboy Church? Yeah. We welcome you this morning. And to everyone watching online, we say, hey. (laughs) So uh, last week, I talked about um, darkness and light. And I kicked off the message by Uh, starting in Genesis. So I just want to refresh us just a little bit. I'm not really going to go into that a whole lot, but the point from Genesis that I want to make is that the serpent came to Eve in the midst of the garden and he spoke to her. And the very first words that he spoke to her were words that were casting a shadow over the words that God, the very first words that God spoke, the very first words that God spoke were saying, let there be light, light be and light was. So God's first use of words was to bring light. The enemy's first use of words was to bring a shadow to cast a shadow, to try and bring confusion about that light that God had released. So the Bible tells us that the serpent was cunning. It says in Genesis chapter three, that he was cunning and that he came to the woman and he said to her, has God really said, say that, has God really said the very first words that are spoken of the enemy was to cast confusion and to cast shadow over what it was that God had already spoken. And when the serpent did this, he created a mode of operation that he still uses today. It hasn't changed. The whole thing that he created right there was the question that continues to plague all of Christianity throughout the centuries. Has God really said? It's a very simple question, but it's a question that comes up over and over and over again. Has God really said? It's the very question that has caused, geez, I don't even know if we could count how many church splits caused all kinds of theological arguments. There are volumes and volumes of books written based upon the question that was posed by the serpent, has God really said? There are splits and divisions. A house divided against itself cannot stand, and the enemy knows that, so he has come with that question so that all of Christianity would continue to be haunted by that in asking, has God really said? And what it does is it pulls our focus from the main thing so that the main thing isn't the main thing anymore. And we make the main thing what we want the main thing to be because we want to focus on what we think God has said and argue with somebody else about what they think that God has said. Has God really said? It's created a lot of jacked upness. I just made that word up. But it's 
amazing to me. The scripture says there's nothing new under the sun. So any tactic that the enemy comes with is a tactic that has existed for a long time. And you might think that you're special and you are because your mama said so, but the enemy does not come up with anything new to come at you with. It's the same thing. And at the root of it, if you go into the root of it, the root of it will be, has God really said? It's just that simple. And we make it so hard. Has God really said, what if we believed what God said? What if we just simply came into agreement with what God said? You know, there's a, a popular move I don't even know what you want to, I don't even know what you want to call it. Like, I don't even know, like math now, two plus two doesn't necessarily equal four. What the flip is that? Like, I can't, te- I remember when my kids were in third grade, I told them, look, y'all are going to have to get this at school because I don't even know. I don't even know what they're teaching you. But there is a popular, have you heard the statement, well, my truth is... I'm speaking, I am speaking my truth. (laughs) Y'all have been drinking coffee with me, apparently. (laughs) But what that's doing is that is the enemy's subtle way of coming, whether they know it or not. When someone is speaking and they say, well, my truth is, okay, there is no such thing as your truth and my truth. The truth is God's truth. That is truth. And anything that varies from that. Now, I am not saying that you don't have feelings, that you don't have emotion. I'm, I, am not, I am not negating that, and I am not downplaying that. Your feelings and your emotions absolutely are very real. But when we begin to say, my truth, what we do is we begin to change and make a variation to where there is no true north. And when there is no true north, when there is no truth, then we don't have anything to actually set our bearing and our course by, which creates a tremendous amount of, I'm going to make up another word, lostness. I feel like that was the Lord. (laughs) creates a lot of confusion. And I would say that I would not be off to say that there is a lot of confusion in our world right now. But that happens. Can I, can I, can I say this? That I am acutely aware of when there is something going on, how the church has opened the door to that spiritual activity and then that spiritual activity is released into culture so we we look around like i'll just say like this the lawlessness the uh disrespect for law the uh attitude of that i should be able to do whatever i want and not have consequence for that the eyes that i see through that door was opened by the church when the church says that there is no law. 
well, you go and kill somebody, little Christian, and see how that works out for you. There's absolutely law. And to say that we don't live by the law, Jesus actually came to demonstrate how to live by the law and established a higher standard for us. So the church actually opened that door. Again, this is having coffee in Lynette land. (laughs) But when we begin to express, when we say that there is no truth, what we are doing, the very statement is an absolute statement negating the statement that the statement is making. That's how ridiculous that statement is. Because the statement is an absolute. So the absolute statement stating that there's no absolutes is a statement that negates its own statement. But do you see the confusion that it creates? It goes in circles. See, the word of God does not do that. The word of God leads you somewhere. The word of God always, always, always will lead you into truth. Always. But the thing of creating our own truth, what it does is it, we begin to create a God conformed into our own image rather than us being conformed into the image of the son of God. And what happens is when we begin to create as the church, as followers of Christ, when we begin to create doctrine and theology, when we begin to create belief systems based on our experience The enemy has already won. This book does not change because of my experience. And when I begin to cause this book, when I begin to go through it with my black highlighter and highlight certain things and mark them out because I don't like it or I don't understand it or... It has not yet come to fullness in my life. I begin to create a God that is conformed into my image, which is a false God. And the Bible tells us not to worship false gods. But gosh, we do that. As human beings, we, we, want, we want to be able to put a formula and an explanation and an A plus B equals C on everything. And I think that that is one reason why it's so beautiful that when we read in the Gospels that we read four different accounts of the way that Jesus moved and traveled. You see, you see symmetry through all four of the Gospels, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Luke. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the first four books of the New Testament. You see perfect perfect symmetry throughout those four books, but yet you see stories accounted in one book that you may not see written and accounted in another book. But what that's explaining to us and what we see from that is the very reason that when Jesus healed one person, he told them to go, he told them to go and wash in, in, in the river. And then when he healed another person, he simply spoke and never even went into the room. Do you know why? Because he doesn't want us to create our own doctrine to say, okay, 
Every time somebody needs healing, we got to spit in dirt and rub, rub mud on them. Because do you know how many Christian bookstores would be selling mud? Oh, man. That'd be a money-making deal, you know? So I want to, let's read a scripture so that we're legal today. Because some of the church people are starting to get nervous. We're not even opening the Bible. I'm getting there. Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to start, I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 1. And let's just, let's go back to that question again. What if we just agreed with what God said? So as I read this, I want you to have that in your mind. What if I really believed this? Like, what if I just agree with it? It's pretty cool. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? To surrender ourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices. I want to pause. Sometimes surrendering to God, you, you read that surrendering to God and being his living sacrifices. Like what the heck? What, what, what does that mean? If I'm going to agree with that, I'm going to need some more information on that. Sometimes surrendering to God and being his living sacrifice simply means agreeing with him above your own experience. That is surrender. And that is sacrifice. It means agreeing with him above your pride. It means agreeing with him above your rage. It means agreeing with him above injustice. It means agreeing with him above your pain. It means agreeing with him above your fear. It means agreeing with him and surrendering the doubt and agreeing with what he said. Surrender and sacrifice. I sacrifice my pride to him. I sacrifice my right to be angry. I sacrifice that to God. He goes on and he says, and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Living in holiness. Now, when we talk about holiness, holiness, when somebody says, you know, reads the scripture that is in the Bible to be holy as I am holy. I'm like, woo, I got a long ways to go. And that seems really overwhelming. It seems, does it not seem impossible? Be holy as I am holy. Wow, God. Here the scripture tells us to live in holiness. What if we were to take a step back and to recognize that if we are living in our position, which the scripture tells us in Acts that in him, we live and move and have our being in him. We live and move and have our being in him. We are seated together with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's in the Bible. What if when this tells us to live in holiness, What if he's saying to us, live in your position? 
If we're to be holy as he is holy, if we live in Christ Jesus, we are in holiness, are we not? He is perfect holiness. So if we are in position, we are living in holiness. And as we'll see in a little bit, we begin to then, when the scripture says in him, we live and move and have our being. What that's talking about when you dig into the Greek of it is it's talking about a fixed position that is holy, not H-O-L-Y, but holy, W, like the whole thing, the whole pizza, the whole pizza, holy, all of you, every bit of you, not leaving any part of you out, but every part of you is in this fixed position with the whole pizza. Staying there and abiding there, not getting up and running off because something is happening or we have to help God out with something, staying in that place, in position, in holiness, that that becomes our genuine expression of worship. When we live in holiness, it says that we are experiencing all that delights God's heart. God loves it when we live there. God loves it when we abide there, when we stay there, when that becomes the place that we live from, that we have our being from, that we have our identity from, that we stay in this place, that it's not a place that we come and go. When things get bad, you know what I, from my place, I see people come and go, come and go, come and go, come and go. And they go and things get really hard, really difficult, and they come back. And then things start to line out, things starting to get better, and then they go, and then things get really hard, and they come back. You know what? If the enemy knows that all he has to do is let you get comfortable and you start weaning off again, man, you're going to experience that over and over and over in your life. He wants us to have a fixed position in him because when we do, we experience. Experience, our experience becomes all that delights him. That becomes our experience. And the enemy will come when you, th- when you think about that, that you are seated. How about, how about we just think about agreeing with that for a minute? I am seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I don't get it. I don't understand that, but I agree with it. How about we just think about that for a minute? Like, like we could talk about that till Jesus comes back, right? That's huge. Do I fully understand it with my human mind? No, I do not. But my spirit knows that above any other place and above all else, that is the very place that I long the most to be. It is the place that I find the most fulfillment. It is the place that I find the most comfort. It is the place that I find myself the most. It is the place where truth is not a variable thing. So when we come to this place and we think about just agreeing with that, the enemy comes again and says, has God really said? And the enemy comes to send a message to you that somehow, somewhere, something you've done or said that you are disqualified to be in that place. 
a thought that you've had that nobody else knows about, something that happened when nobody else was looking or something that took place when you were 16 years old and you were so cranked out of your mind, you don't even remember what happened, but maybe that's what disqualifies me. So the enemy comes with the subtle messages of disqualification because he knows that the most dangerous place for you to be to darkness is to be seated in the very core of light. Yeah. And he hates it. And it's just when God opens a door And every one of you in here, without exception, have had this happen. You maybe didn't know that that's what it was. But every one of you have had a door opened to you at some point that is a door of opportunity for you to step into a new thing. Um, A new season. A new way of uh, identifying who you are in Christ a new job, a new opportunity, a new relationship that God opens the door. And I remember, I remember the first time I became painfully aware of this. (laughs) I was working in the national office. Some of you have heard me tell this before. I was working in the national office for a ministry and we had rodeo Bible camps all over the country. And uh, I somehow got appointed to be the director of Rodeo Bible camps. I've never even owned a horse before. Okay. (laughs) I don't know squat diddly about putting on a rodeo Bible camp. And I remember sitting in my office. I was, I was the shipping girl. Okay. I ship out Bibles and this lands in my lap. (laughs) Not funny. God. I'm like, okay, and y'all, I was saved like this much. Like, I mean, when they hired me, they didn't check things out. I mean, I was barely saved, right? I am like sliding into heaven underneath the door, you know? Oh my gosh. And I remember sitting in my office and telling God, I don't know how to do this. Like having serious conversations and I'm pretty sure there was some tears and maybe some kicking a little. Like, God, I don't know how to do this. I'm going to look like a fool in front of the whole country. Yeah. And it just exaggerated from there. And that is when I found, literally found, I didn't even know this was in the Bible. That I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I remember opening my Bible and reading and going, oh, that's good. That's really good. I don't I don't even really know what that means, but maybe I won't be embarrassed. Okay, God, help me out. I was scared. And you know what? Every day I put that. This is why I love post-it notes today. I put that on every piece of paper and taped it on every wall. I put it on my mirror. I put it in my car. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I can do rodeo Bible camps. I don't know nothing about rodeo Bible camps, but I can do rodeo Bible camps because God is strengthening me. Amen. And you know what? He totally did. 
I didn't die. I'm still here to tell about it. But you know what? It was that same kind of fear that I felt when I found out I was pregnant. How many of you can relate? I remember telling my girlfriend, I still forget to feed my dogs. I can't have a baby (laughs) for the real. I mean, I was panicking about it. My girlfriend, she had four boys and she reaches over and she pets my arm and she goes, oh, they'll let you know. (laughs) I was like, okay, for real. Like I was so scared. I'm like, I cannot be responsible for another human being. And I remember after I had Rhett, I was like, somebody is going to know this was a mistake. We're going to need to fix this. Like, I can't be responsible for another human life. I was scared. Again, Darren, Darren kept telling me, I had nephews. We got this. It's like, he would rub my arm. We can do this. We can do, oh yeah. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Feed it? How do you, What? Every time you feel disqualified, it is the enemy. What did I just say? That, did I say enemy? Enemy. Y'all, I am making up stuff today. Words. Every time you feel disqualified, it is the enemy manipulating dependency. God came to me in a big way here just recently because there was something put in front of me. I'm like, I can't do that. I don't know anything about doing that. I can't do that. And God reminded me again, just do what you always have done. Depend on me. Okay, I can do that. Even though I've done it before, it was no less scary. I was like, okay, God, Again, the thing comes up, am I going to look foolish? How many, how many have dealt with that though? Like, I'm going to look foolish. Everybody is going to see how disqualified I really am to be doing this. Because I don't have a bunch of initials after my name. I don't have a huge education. I don't have like, I, I don't know. Same, when God told us he wanted us to start a church. Okay, the P word in our house was like a cuss word. Don't say pastor to me because that's, I am not that. I don't want to do that. And now I can't imagine doing anything that I would love anymore. But I still don't know anything about being a pastor. But I do know that I have to depend on God every single day. And God loves for us to be completely and totally dependent on him. Because when we are dependent on him, we are in him. In dependent. We're not looking to ourselves and our own resources, our own knowledge, our own ability, which will always pull us out of position. And anything that you start, this is something that I have learned. Anything that you start under your own power and your own resources, you're going to have to maintain under your own power and own resources. And that will flat wear you out. And it can even be something that sounds really godly. You know, if you start a Bible study and God is not in that, but you start it because by golly, I know something and everybody should know what I know. If you're doing that under your own resources and your own 
instigating, your own starting, you're going to have to maintain it on your own. But when we do things according to God's leading, because we're in him, when we do it because of his desire, you're in him. What God starts, God will maintain. What God begins, God will always provide for. And where God leads you, our spiritual father used to always say this. He would say, where God guides, he provides. So when you're walking where God wants you to walk, there's a natural provision that takes place. Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. But God will provide. When you feel the most disqualified is when God is opening the door for you to step in and take new ground and to step into something new. And the enemy is taking what God is asking to say, just depend on me. Just be in me. Just look to me. Totally, totally lean into me. That's what God is asking us to do. And the enemy will come to tell you every reason why you can't do it. Why you shouldn't be doing it. The enemy takes a beautiful dependency and manipulates it and perverts it into feelings of being disqualified. So we're going to pray over that here in just a minute. I'm just going to say this for the sake of time. Dependency in him, when in, in our culture, being dependent is seen as a weakness. Being dependent on someone is seen as, as a negative thing. Well, it is a negative thing if you're dependent on a substance or you're dependent on an unhealthy relationship. If your dependency on anyone or anything else supersedes your dependency on God, it is an unhealthy thing. But when our dependency on God is our priority, it's absolutely the most beautiful thing to God. And again, it puts us in that place where we will experience all that delights his heart. Jesus himself said that I can do nothing except what the father is doing. If, it, if, that, if that mode of operation worked for Jesus, I'd say it works for us. I'd say it's pretty safe, right? But then when we go into this, it, when we begin to shift the way that we think, what we see is that our thinking from being in him begins to be transformed, and we no longer look at dependency as a sign of weakness, but we look at dependency as an acknowledgement of the awe of God. That we realize that there is nothing impossible to those who believe and that when we put our complete and total dependency in him, we're positioning ourselves for miracles. We're positioning ourselves for things that we've never experienced before. And then our theology isn't now being uh, based on things that we haven't experienced, but now we're experiencing the confirmation of what we have said yes to and what we agree to because we're dependent on him. And see that dependency isn't always just in bad times. It's dependency in the best times too. That when we think, oh, we've got it all together and everything is happening, I got this, I got this, I got this, is when we need to press into that place. When things are going great and everything is good, it's that time there to really press into him 
and being sure that we are rooted in him. See the scripture, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go there, but in John chapter 15, Jesus speaks to us and he tells us that I am the vine and those who abide in me will bear much fruit. The only way that you can bear fruit and produce anything is through staying in him. The minute that we remove ourselves for whatever reason, the fruitfulness stops. And again, you will be responsible for maintaining whatever fruit you think that you've produced. And let me, let me, let, let me, let me say this too. Some people will say, well, I can't do that. Or I, you know, I'm not going to say that because I haven't experienced it yet. So I'm not going to be fake. Right. I'm not, I'm not a fake person. I just can't be fake like that. And it's said in a really kind of a haughty, prideful way. Well, it just can't be fake like that. We have a tree out in our front yard that has produced apricots one time. The times that it does not produce an apricot, we don't go out in the yard and say, well, you tree, you are not producing any apricots, so therefore I shall now call you an apple tree. The tree is an apricot tree and its identity does not change just because it may be in a season where the growth on the inside of it is taking place to where it will produce fruit in the future, but yet it doesn't have any fruit visible on it right now. Our identity is not created by what we do. Our identity is created by what we were created to do. So that also means that if you have been created by God to do amazing things, when Jesus said greater works than these will you do, if you decide to sit and simply hold down a chair every Sunday and you never step into the greater works, you will not be uh, spoken to or judged by how well you held down a chair. You will be spoken to and called to accountability for your potential of what you were created to do. And you may not have any apricots on you yet, but that does not change the fact that you were created to do greater works. It may mean that you're in a season or in a time of growth and preparation and that God is strengthening the branches that have been grafted into him to to bear the weight of the fruit that will come. It may be a time of growth. It may be a season of development. And it may very well be that you need to get your little butt grafted in because there's fruit that is waiting to be birthed and you're not grafted in and staying in your position. And God's saying, I got a whole bunch of apricots that I need to bring to you. <laughs> when we are in him, we will experience all that delights his heart. Because our, I wrote this down, our 
life union in Jesus should cause anyone who doesn't believe in God to question their unbelief. I can because I wrote it down. (laughs) Our life union in Jesus should cause anyone who doesn't believe in God to question their unbelief. We should literally be a walking tilting of the scale for any atheist that we come across, any agnostic that we come across. Our life should be a life that causes people who don't believe in God to question their unbelief. Does that mean that everything's always going to go easy peasy and that your whole life is going to be roses? Mm, Really not. But it's the in him that changes everything. So I'm going to read this scripture to you. And what if we just agree with God? What if we just agreed with this? Ephesians, again in the Passion Translation, says this. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly father. Okay. Again, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. What if we just agreed with that? Golly. The father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all our hearts. And in love, he chose us before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love he has for the beloved Jesus he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. What if we just agreed with that? What if we just decided, hey, I'm going to believe that. And I'm going to say that that is truth. Rhett, if you would, go ahead and come up. So what I felt we were supposed to pray over today, man, we already rocked it at the beginning of service. And I was like, dang, God, you're full on today. What if we just believed God? And right now, whatever the experience is of your life that you feel doesn't line up with God's word, I am not negating the difficulty of that. I'm not negating the hurt or the trauma, the wound. I'm, I am not 
making small of that and I am not negating that. But what I am saying is if there is anywhere in this room where we have exalted an experience above the truth, that we're going to take care of that right now. Anywhere where we have allowed the enemy to come and say, has God really said? And that has put us in a place of, well, what about this? And what about this? And I don't know. And what about this? In him. In him. So I want, if you would, everybody just close your eyes. I want to invite you. We're going to just take a moment here. We're going to settle in. And we're going to be in him. But first, let's take it. Keep your eyes closed. You don't have to open your eyes. So as I'm saying this, those of you that are uh, settled and you're in him, I want you to sit in his lap there for a moment. And you're in a place in him where there is no fear. There is no jealousy. There is no doubt. So just be in that place for just a moment while I say this, that there are many, 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 many paths, countless paths that lead people to Jesus, but there is only one path that leads to the Father, and that is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. And when he said that, he was declaring an eternal truth, that he is the only way to access the Father God. And it is because he chose to die on a cross in our place. And that cross represents a doorway because Jesus didn't just die on the cross, but then he went to the depths of hell to battle everything that would ever come against us. And he resurrected and rose again in a sign and of letting us know that he defeated everything. And now he stands as the doorway to say, if you want to come to the father, if you want to sit in his lap, if you want to experience all that delights him, you just simply come through me. And when he stands, he stands with his arms wide open with no holding anyone out. No, no barring anyone. No one is disqualified from coming through Jesus. So if you are that person that the enemy comes to you to say why you're disqualified and why you can't and after I learn more or after I do this and once I get this cleaned up, once I, once I deal with the addiction, once I deal with the immorality, once I deal with those things, that's not how Jesus wants you. He says, bring it all. Because once you step through him, you're not trying to do those things on your own and maintain them on your own. Once you step through him, you step into love and then love begins to go to work in your life. Once I deal with the bitterness and the anger and the hatred, step through him. And then there's healing for the bitterness and the hatred. 
So if you've never stepped through, stepped up and said, Jesus, I want to come to the Father through you. If you've never said, Jesus, I I just want to give you my heart and I invite you into my heart. If you've never done that before, this moment right now has been preordained for you. And all you have to do is just say, Jesus, yes. Jesus, I say yes to you. And then he says to us, if you declare me before men, I will declare you before my father. So right now, if anybody is making that commitment, that decision from your own heart for the very first time, I want to give you the opportunity to declare him by simply sticking your hand up in the air and saying, today, I declare Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Is there anybody here that needs to do that? Anyone at all? sitting in the father's lap we're all sitting with him and right now whatever the experience was whatever I feel like there's people that have had words spoken to you I specifically see words from a parent that were spoken to you that really caused a wound your experience there was maybe being told that you were not loved or that you weren't worthy in some way and God says you absolutely are because of his son Jesus so right now we want to pray and we want to place what God has said over doubt what God has said over your experience and what God has said over from your past so right now where you are simply begin to say in your heart God I agree with what you have said I believe what you have said and I will continue to believe what you have said regardless of the hurt regardless of the experience regardless of my past Regardless of all of the times that I've been told no, I know that your answer to me, God, is yes, and I stay in you. I place agreeing with you above everything else. If you're doing that right now and God is really moving and you're needing just some things put in position, I'm going to ask you to put your hands on your heart. Just letting God move. And maybe there's some things that you're saying, I don't know how. This is really hard because it's been that way for so long. I don't know how. Right now, with your hand on your heart, say where you can hear yourself say it, if it's a whisper, if you need to shout it, whatever it is, say, I agree with God. believe you God I believe you above all else I believe you God I believe you above my pain I believe you above my success and while we're right here any area where the enemy has come to tell you that you're disqualified right now I want you to say I am dependent in him I am not disqualified. I am dependent upon God. And 
in him, there is nothing that is impossible to me. I take him at his word. I take him at his word. I believe you, God. I believe you, God. Maybe some of you need to surrender something to him right now. Lay that, lay that down. Surrender the experience. Surrender the doubt. Surrender the... unforgiveness maybe it's a moment I see for someone there's a moment like there's you know when it happened it's boom it's pinpoint it's a moment surrender that moment right now and father in that place I declare in Jesus name God bring a rush of your healing bring a rush of your beautiful Holy Spirit oil there's little cracks. Father, fill those cracks in the hearts with your oil, your healing oil, your healing Holy Spirit. And what I'm seeing right now is that oil, that oil is a gentle oil, but it's an oil that goes down underneath the hurt and the gunk and it's pushing it out. So right now, just see God removing that and pushing that out because he's so beautiful loves you so much so just let that be pushed out and release it so if you're doing that right now here's a beautiful way to do that take a deep breath in and then when you blow out release it what God's pushing out let's do that one more time if you're doing that right now go ahead and take a deep breath in heals me and I declare in the name of Jesus that you are my truth above all you are my truth and I declare I will stay in